You guys have a seat, and uh, we're going to be looking at some different passages together today. Uh, I'm excited that it's Easter Sunday. I'm excited that, uh, that we get to share this time together and, and celebrate the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and you know, if I had to summarize the, the best news of, of the Bible, it would probably be going back to John chapter 3, verse 16. It's a verse that so many of you have committed to memory as a very, very young child. It's a, a verse that, that, that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That is the best news in the world. But John doesn't stop there. He says in verses 17 and 18, he says, For God did not send his Son, Jesus, into this world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But listen to this. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Let's start the morning this morning with, with the good news because we're going to look at some good news and some bad news. We're going to look at some, some, some easy stuff and then we're going to look at some tough stuff. The good news is this, that God so loved you. Not just the world, but he loved you, that he would send his son. We say this often, but I can't imagine giving my son for somebody else. I can't imagine giving my son for somebody great and awesome and perfect. But I really can't imagine giving my son for somebody like me. It's a sinner, fallen, messed up, still broken, still confused. And yet God loved us enough that he sent his son. But here's the deal. Some people look at Jesus and say, well, he sent Jesus into the world to condemn us, just to show us how horrible we were. But John says that's not why Jesus came. Jesus did not come as our condemner. But Jesus came as our Savior. He didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And here, here's the deal. We were already condemned. In fact, had Jesus not come, we would have remained condemned. Condemned to hell? Condemned, condemned to a life without meaning, without purpose, without God? Jesus didn't come and bring condemnation. Condemnation was here because the Bible says that in the day that we sin, we would surely die. And that the wages of sin is death. But this gift of God, which was Jesus, is eternal life. And so the good news is, is that, that you and I have a Savior, not a condemner. There is a condemner in this world, and his name is Satan. He comes to, to steal and to kill and to destroy and to condemn and to accuse and to, to, to make us feel as if we are unworthy, which we all are unworthy. But Jesus is not that condemner. The Bible says that Jesus came to his own, and his own did not receive him. John says that Jesus was the light that came into the world, and yet the world loved darkness instead of light. And just as we say that for God so loved the world, and that means me and that means you personally, when it says that the world rejected Jesus because it preferred the darkness instead of the light, that's also personal. That also means that I've rejected God and that you've rejected God. That we've chose 
to go our own ways. And we've chose to do our own things instead of doing the things that God would call us to do. And, and so when we start this, this time together today, I want us to, to, to look at the good news. And, and that is that, that God sent his son and it's his death and his resurrection that provides everything that we need to be reconnected with God. Jesus didn't come to be our condemner. He came to be our savior. Because without him, we were already condemned. And that's what John 3, 17 and 18 says, that, that those who are still without him stand condemned already. So the good news is that we don't have to remain condemned. We don't have to remain isolated and, 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 and estranged from God. We can come into relationship with him. It's his death and his resurrection that brought all of that and made that possible. And Easter is the celebration of Jesus' victory over death and hell and the grave. And that's why we gather every week is to celebrate that. You realize that, that for Christians, Easter is not a one day a year thing. Easter is a all day, every day celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a celebration of his victory over death. But here's what I want you to gather this morning, and I want this to sink in as we move forward in this, in this message. We cannot fully appreciate the sweetness of the resurrection without first understanding the bitterness of the cross. Grab that. You cannot fully appreciate the sweetness of the resurrection until you first understand the bitterness of the cross. Have you ever watched a, a sporting event? Maybe it's Tiger winning the Masters. And, and the emotion that comes out as he wins the Masters again, finally, after all those years. He wouldn't appreciate the victory had he not gone through the battle. You watch uh, uh, these professional football players who are the macho men and, and tough as nails cry when they win a Super Bowl. Why? Because they know the battle they went through in order to experience the victory. You and I watching them as a big boy crying that's ugly because we don't know the battle they went through to win the trophy at the end if we don't understand what jesus went through we have a hard time fully engaging and fully celebrating the resurrection of jesus christ because until you understand what he went through it's hard to appreciate what he did i think this is why paul in philippians chapter 3 he says that that he wants to know the lord and he wants to know him in, in, in a combination of ways. Look what he says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. He, he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Yeah, that's what we're here for, is to celebrate the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But look at this. I want to know the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. It's hard to celebrate the resurrection if we don't understand the suffering of Jesus Christ. So maybe today you came in thinking we're going to have this jolly message. It's going to be great about the resurrection of Jesus. It's going to be a, a, you know, like a, a high school pep rally, and we're going to do that. And, and we are going to celebrate the resurrection, guys. But we've got to understand the suffering that Jesus went through and why he went through that for us in order for the resurrection to be something that we truly can engage and truly celebrate. I want to know the resurrection, but I also need to know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings so that I can become like him in his death, the way he was at death, and somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. 
So we need to know both the, the power of his resurrection, but also what it means to, to join in and to understand and fully comprehend what he went through as he died for our sins. You and I cannot fully appreciate the removal of our sins without understanding the crushing weight of our sins. If, if, if I think that my sin was just a small thing that Jesus did for me, then I can tip my hat, say thank you, and move on. But if I recognize the, the, the real weight of my sin, the rottenness of my heart, the separation that stood between me and God, if I really grasp that, then I can finally have an appreciation for what Jesus did. Jesus said it this way, he that is loved much, or he that is forgiven much, loves much. It's hard for me to love God a lot if I don't understand everything that Jesus did on my behalf. I can't fully appreciate the, the condemnation that I deserved without understanding the condemnation that he endured on my behalf. I, I can't fully appreciate the, the promise that he will never leave me nor forsake me until I understand the forsakenness that Jesus felt upon that cross as he hung there in my place and in your place. I'll never fool, we'll, we'll, we, we, it's impossible for us to fully feel the weight of the sin that was placed upon Jesus when he hung upon the cross. And thank God that you'll never have to feel what he felt on that cross because he took that for us. He stood in our place and took what we deserve. But we are given a glimpse through the scripture, just a small glimpse of, of what he endured in order to bring about our forgiveness. So while hanging on the cross, Jesus suspended between heaven and earth, Jesus struggled under the weight of my sin. He struggled under the weight of your sin. He struggled under the weight of the sin of all mankind for all of history. Because the Bible says that he that knew no sin became sin. That you and I might become the righteousness of God. Think about this. For the very first time, Jesus tasted the bitterness of separation between him and his father that sin has brought to all of us. Jesus, who was eternally God, felt the sting of that separation. Because as our sin was placed upon him and the wrath of God was poured out again and again and again upon him for that sin. He tasted the bitterness of that separation. As he grasped for another breath hanging on that cross. He uttered a cry that he had never once cried before. It wasn't a cry of anger. But it was a cry of this feel of forsakenness. And he cried out, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far off? It, it was a cry that Jesus had never cried before, but it was a cry that had been cried before by King David. And as the army surrounded David, and David felt like his enemies were on every side, and, and David felt like that, that he was being crushed by the weight of this oppression, Jesus cried the prayer that David cried. Because David's prayer was not just a prayer, but David's prayer was a prophecy 
of what was going to happen to Jesus. Jesus, as he quotes that, he, he quotes Psalm 22, which is where I want us to hang out today. Psalm 22, Jesus is, is hanging on the cross. You, you understand that, that when you're hanging on a cross, your, your lungs begin to fill up with, with fluid. It, you, you begin to literally drown. That's, that's what causes death on a cross is this drowning because your, 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 your lungs are filling up with fluid and you're gasping for a breath. And so these thieves don't say much on the cross other than crying out because their lungs are filling up. But Jesus fills his lungs with air as best he can. And he cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did Jesus feel forsaken? Because for the first time, sin had been placed upon Jesus. And there was a separation, if you will, between him and the Father. Something he had never felt before. He had had his closeness with God. And now there was this separation because God was pouring out wrath for all mankind. The wrath that every person from Adam and Eve forward and, and from Adam and Eve all the way to the end of time, the wrath for all sins of all mankind was being poured out upon God. He was literally taking a beating for everything that we've ever done wrong and everything that anybody had ever done wrong. He had not known that before. He had not known the bitterness of sin, and now he was tasting it. In fact, he was drinking a full cup of the wrath of God. I read an article this week by a guy named Marshall Seagal, and, and, and man, he says some things that are, that are so much more eloquent than, eloquent than anything that I could say. And I want to borrow some of his words as he describes what that was like for Jesus to cry out to God, for Jesus to, 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 to holler to God and to, and to wonder why in the world God was forsaking him. And, and he said this, and this statement just stopped me dead in my tracks. Listen to this. He said, we will never know the full weight that those nails held. It wasn't just the weight of Jesus' body. Because it was the weight of our sin that those nails held. We will never fully understand the, the, the full measure of the full weight of those nails and what they held. The Son of God had broken through into our dark world and, and, and he brought light and yet his own refused him, the Bible says, because they loved the darkness more. At Golgotha, darkness fell upon him and his shoulders bore this weight of a sin that he had never, ever, ever known before. He climbed this tree upon which he was crucified. It was foretold. You realize that murderers stalked Jesus before he ever walked. Remember Herod? The slaughter of the baby boys. They stalked Jesus before he could even walk. He fought a war of wars against evil in the wilderness when he was tempted by Satan. The word became flesh. It dwelt among sinners. And they brutally assaulted him. They relentlessly plotted. They beat him. They mocked him until finally his flesh gave way. And scripture says you couldn't recognize him as a human. He had been beaten so bad. Now on the cross, Jesus is silent. But his silence is broken with this cry out to the Father, My God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? Matthew chapter 27 gives us this, this cry where he, he cries out. And it says from the, about the sixth hour to the ninth hour, from noontime till three, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Jews who have been standing there would have known this psalm. They probably would have had it memorized as they memorized much of the Old Testament. And, and Jesus starts a psalm that he's going to finish later. But he starts a psalm on the tree. And, and, and by making the statement, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, he is starting the minds of every Jew that would have understood that psalm. And, and, and it will be like me standing before you today, putting my hand over my chest and saying, I pledge allegiance to the flag. You can finish it, can't you? This is what Jesus is starting on the cross. Because Psalm 22 is a psalm that, that, that says that everything looks bleak and everything looks horrible and everything looks bad because you know why? It is. But it's a psalm that's going to end in great praise, a song that's going to end in great triumph. And, and Jesus is starting their mind down that road and he's saying to his disciples, he's saying, this looks horrible. God is forsaking me. The wrath of God is being poured out on me. And, and this is bad. But listen, I'm, I'm starting a psalm that, that starts bad. But it ends well. And here we are on Friday, and it's bad. And the wrath of God is being poured out. And, and, and Jesus is not just making a statement devoid of, of feeling. He feels the wrath of God. He feels the separation with God. He feels as if he has been forsaken by God because for the first time sin has come between him and God. Not his sin, but our sin. And so he breaks the silence. And with pierced hands and collapsing lungs, Siegel says, Jesus gripped Psalm 22 tightly. These were the desperate words of King David as he was facing aggression. But now the sinless son of God was the one being surrounded. Psalm 22, if you were to read that, and I encourage you to do so, but Psalm 22 uses an image of, of three different things. It uses the image of, of bulls that have surrounded him and dogs that have surrounded him and lions that have surrounded him. And, and, and Siegel writes these words. He says, like rabid jaws of a wild bull, the scribes and the Pharisees wanted every last ounce of Jesus' blood. They had hunted him at every turn. They had falsely accused him of evil, and they conspired to destroy him. And while he hung where he did not belong... They mocked him and they said, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. He trusts in God. Let God save him now if God really desires him. And those were words straight out of Psalm 22. This is what's so amazing, guys. After we finish today, read Psalm 22 and see how many things happened at the cross that were predicted in Psalm 22. Psalm 22, those, those very words were there. And, and, and David is prophesying that, that when Jesus is crucified, they're going to say to him, well, if God loves him, let God rescue him. If he's the son of God, then let him come down off the cross. All of these statements that you see at the cross were prophesied back in Psalm 22. So the bulls, the scribes and the Pharisees, they hurled these insults and these challenges at Jesus. He says, like a, mad pack, uh, like a pack of mad dogs with razor-sharp teeth, the crowd seethed with cravings to kill Jesus. They screamed, let him be crucified. And Pilate says, but for what? He's done nothing wrong. And it says that he, they screamed 
even louder. Psalm 22, 16 describes that. They shouted all the more. And the children of wrath rose up, hating their one and their only hope. The image of lions is also used in Psalm 22. And, and, and Siegel says, like a herd of lions crouching murderously behind blades of grass. The soldiers licked their lips. They stripped him naked. They forced thorns into his head. They spit upon his sinless face. They drove nails into his hands and his feet. And they hung him out there to die while they gambled for his garments. And all of that is in Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. They relished the misery that Jesus went through. And they laughed into the face that would soon shine brighter than the noonday sun. Even the criminals that they hung beside Jesus started off both mocking him. And then one who was not satisfied with just a little bit of mocking used one of his final breaths to mock Jesus again. If you are the Christ, then save yourself. And oh, by the way, save us too. And if it wasn't enough with the scribes and the Pharisees and the crowds and the soldiers and the robbers and the thieves, we're doing to Jesus. Even his closest friends left him for dead. Peter denied him. Everybody else fled. And Jesus is left alone. And then the sin is piled upon him. And then the wrath for that sin is carried out against him. Jesus was surrounded on every side. And yet Jesus was alone in that crowd. But here's the kicker, guys. And listen to the way Siegel says this. Every threat that was made against Jesus was just a whisper compared with the wrath that he endured from his father. All those threats were just a whisper. Isaiah tells us what this was like in, in Isaiah chapter 53 when the wrath of God was being poured on him it says in, in Isaiah 53 verse 9 it says he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death there's the prophecy but though he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth yet it was the Lord's will God's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer and though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. There's the resurrection. And, and he will prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life. And he will be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many. And he will bear their iniquity. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sins of many, and made intercession for transgressors. This is what Jesus did for us. The threats in that day, the beatings and all the scorn and all the shame were just a whisper compared to what it was like for the wrath of God to be poured out on him for the sins of all mankind. 
the hostility of God. The hostility of God against thousands of years of God-despising rebellion finally fell on Jesus. And it fell on him for us. It fell on him for our sins, not his own. In Acts chapter 4, the apostles began to pray after Jesus' resurrection. And as they began to, to pray, they, 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 they talked about how that in that city there was gathered together. Here's those three groups again. Against Jesus, your holy servant, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, the, 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 the Gentiles and the people of Israel, and the soldiers, those bulls, the dogs, and the lions. And they were allowed to do whatever, the Bible says, whatever God's hand and God's plan had predestined to take place. The book of Revelation tells us that Jesus was the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. So Jesus knew that he had to suffer. And every moment of history had led to this point in time where Jesus hung suspended between heaven and earth. But just because Jesus knew about his suffering did not lessen that suffering. As mere humans, you and I, and you need to fall on your knees and thank God for this. As humans, you and I will simply never know the depth of the agony that Christ endured. And the reason that you will never know that is because Jesus endured it on your behalf. We would have known that agony we would have known that pain. We would have known that separation if Jesus had not died in our place. So we think of Psalm 22 as, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But guys, Psalm 22 is so much more than that. It starts with a dark Friday. But it ends with a bright, empty tomb. As Jesus cries out, he can't quote the whole psalm, he can't breathe that much, but he starts that song. And he's saying to them and to us, it looks bad, and it is bad. But Sunday is coming. Friday is here, but Sunday is coming. And some of you right now find yourself on Friday. Some of the things in your world are upside down. Some of the things in your world are more excruciating maybe than they've ever been before. And you find yourself on Friday and, and, and you may want to be tempted to join with David and to join with Jesus in, in this cry of, my God, my God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far off? But please don't stop there. Don't stop there. Join with David and with Jesus in the rest of this psalm. And let me share it with you here. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groanings. Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you're not answering. I'm by night and I'm not silent. And yet, God, you are enthroned as the Holy One. There's the first ray of light. You are the praise of Israel. In you, our fathers put their trust and they trusted and you delivered them. There's the hope. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and they were not disappointed. But 
I'm a worm and I'm not a man and I'm scorned by men. I'm despised by people and all who see me mock me. They hurl insults. Here's the prophecy that's taking place at the cross. Listen to the words and, and think of the cross. Think of this. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults. They shake their heads. They say he trusts in the Lord. Let God rescue him. Let God deliver him if God delights in him. There's that other passage. Yeah, God, you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust you even at my mother's breast. From, from birth, I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there's no one here to help. Many bulls, there's the bulls. They surround me, the strong bulls of, of Bashan. They encircle me, roaring lions, tearing their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. There's Jesus on the cross. My heart is turned to wax. It's melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Remember, on the cross, Jesus says, I thirst. And you lay me in the dust of death. Jesus says, I'm dying. The dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men have encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all of my bones. Why? Because of the beating that he took with that cat of nine tails. I can count all of my bones. And people stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and they cast lots for my clothing. There's the soldiers at the foot of the cross. But you, O oh Lord, be not far off. Oh, my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, from my, my precious life, from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. And I will declare your name to my brothers. Here's the resurrection. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised. He has not disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. God had not despised Jesus. He has not hidden his face from him. Have you heard it said that God just couldn't look on his son? God had to turn his back on Jesus. That's why it got dark in the day. It says God did not turn his back on Jesus. God was pouring wrath on his son. But he didn't turn his back on his son. He's not hidden his face from him. He has listened to his cry for help. And from you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who, who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. And the poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. And that all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And the families of the nations will bow before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord. And he rules over the nations. What does that passage say? That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. And all who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. And future generations will be told about him. And they will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. That's you and me. For he has done it. Jesus started that song. And he says, I want you to know.
starting it. And in one of his final words, it is finished. Everything that needed to be done for your salvation and for my salvation has been accomplished. Here's what that means. Everything that we need for our salvation, he has accomplished. There's not one reason, not one reason for you to spend a minute in hell, much less an eternity. Because Jesus has done everything necessary for you to spend eternity with him in heaven. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but he sent his son into the world to save the world. So that through Jesus we might be saved. But he that, that believes is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already. You can walk out of here today with all that condemnation lifted, removed, taken away, and never ever applied to your account because it was piled upon Jesus. Or you can walk out of here today still condemned, still separated, still searching, still trying to find what it is that will satisfy your soul. When there's only one thing that can truly satisfy you. And that's Jesus. I can't celebrate the resurrection, guys, without understanding what my Savior went through for me. As I close today, something that God's been teaching me over the last several months is that most of my life is spent studying the Bible, trying to understand the facts, grab the concepts, get the theology all lined up. But in doing so, I've amassed a bunch of facts. And they've hit that intellectual side of my brain. And some of them actually stuck. But very little has been allowed to cross over and hit the emotional side. It's made it to my head, if you would, but it hadn't made it to my heart. I could tell you what happened on the cross, but I hadn't felt the full impact of what happened on the cross. I could tell you that Jesus was alive, but it was hard to celebrate his life because it was just a fact and not a reality. So God's been taking me to the scripture and saying, Rob, I want you to see me and my love and, and, and the, the, the length that I would go to to rescue you from your sin. This morning, I want you just to have a bunch of facts about what happened to Jesus on the cross. I want you to see him hanging on that cross and to realize that, that he hung there bearing your sin and my sin upon himself. He carried the weight of the sin that we could not carry. All the way to the cross. He bore the wrath of God that we could not bear. And he did that not to condemn you, but he did that to save you. And if you walk out of here today 
without responding to that love, then you do so not because it's not available, but because you think you just don't need it. Do you know who goes to hell? Not wicked, vile sinners. But people who are so arrogant, they say, I don't need what Jesus did for me. One of the two thieves on the cross was wicked, wicked and vile and deserving of death. And he cried out to Jesus. He said, remember me. Jesus made him a promise. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. He couldn't offer Jesus anything. He couldn't promise Jesus anything. All he could do was cry out and say, I need you. And, and that's where it all begins. For, for you and for me to recognize that when he died on that cross, he was dying in our place. And that we need him. And that's the gospel. Not one of us in this room, not one of us who's ever been created can save ourselves. But only Jesus can do that. So guys, listen. You don't have to live another minute without knowing that your sins are atoned for, that they're paid for, that they've been covered by Jesus' sacrifice. This morning, as we pray together, you can bow your head before God and say, God, I don't deserve that forgiveness. I can never earn that forgiveness, but I desperately need that forgiveness. And you can ask him to be your Savior and to be your Lord. And today, right here, right now, if your heart will yield to him and you will confess your need for Jesus, and you can be saved, and you can be forgiven, and your sins can be atoned for. So I'm going to pray, and as I pray, I wish that you would just talk to God. Guys, prayer, prayer is not a difficult thing. It's you talking to God as if he's just sitting in the chair in front of you. But it's you opening up your heart, not just your head, but your heart, and saying, God, here's where I'm at. And thank you for meeting me here. And thank you for loving me when you could have condemned me. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful that you found us in our sin and yet you didn't walk away. I'm thankful that Jesus left the splendor of heaven to endure the horrors of hell on that cross. And God, while it's hard for us to look at that cross and to see your wrath being poured out wave after wave after wave upon your son that you love, the spotless, sinless, perfect lamb of God. God, I'm thankful that you did. Because he took upon himself the curse of our sin. And Lord, he 
sin became sin. So that we could become righteous in your eyes. Forgiven, cleansed, holy, pure. Not by anything we do, but by everything Jesus did. And so this morning, Lord, if there's some here who have never put their faith and their trust in Christ, who have never humbled themselves to the place that they've said, God, I need you and I need your forgiveness. Pray that right now, God, in their heart, they would admit to you their need and they would cry out to you to be their Savior. They might say something like this, Lord, I know that I'm sinful. And I know Jesus was perfect. I know I should have been on that cross, but Jesus was in my place. I should have been forsaken, but he was forsaken. I should have died, but he died for me. And any God that would love me that way, I want to give myself to you. And I want to be fully yours. And I want to spend every breath of every day, God, just loving you in response to your love for me. Would you ask God right now to, to forgive your sins, to cleanse your heart, and to make you his child? forever and ever. God, I pray you come alongside of us. You stir our hearts and you draw us to you. Lord, that it wouldn't just be in our head that we know the facts, but in our hearts we know and we believe. We believe with our hearts. And that changes our behavior. So I pray for those who are wrestling with that decision right now. Lord, they would not leave this place until they know that they know that Jesus lives in them. For it's in your name I pray.